Hey, welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and I am joined today by three esteemed commentators on Massachusetts politics. In no particular order, we have Gintaudis Dumpsius, a.k.a. Gin of Mass Live and the Springfield Republican. Did I get that right? Is that the yes, full idea I'm supposed to get? Yeah. Gin, how's it going? Close enough. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> Also, Lauren Dzenski of Politico, Massachusetts. Uh, Lauren, did I leave out any fancy part of your title? Uh, I write the Massachusetts playbook, but thank you. It's cool. I apologize for omitting that very important part of your job. As long and as you read it, that's that's all that I matters. Read it every day faithfully. And Peter Kadzis, the editor of WGBHnews.org. Peter, what's going on? Hi. So <laughs> I am hoping that today we can talk about the reaction of the Massachusetts political establishment to the first week and change of Donald Trump's presidency. Because it seems to me like everyone who is anyone in state politics has had something pointed and sharp and loud to say about the way the president has kicked off his time in the White House. It's only been, it's been a week. I know. <laughs> it's been a week. It's, oh. it's incredible. Uh, I saw a tweet. You guys may have seen this too. I can't remember who who wrote it or I would give them credit. But it was something like, Hard to believe the inauguration was only 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I feel exactly captured the way it feels. So of all the responses to the new Trump presidency that you guys have heard from the world of Massachusetts politics, which response has stood out most to you and why? I'll jump in. Um, Honestly, I've been surprised by the reaction to the executive order uh, banning travel from the seven predominantly Muslim countries, if only because this has stayed a story for so long. Like, the executive order came out Friday night. Uh, We had uh, four different electeds show up at Logan on Saturday as news came out that people were being detained. There were lawyers that were there. Giant protests in Copley Square on Sunday. And then... You know, Sunday night into Monday morning, I was kind of sitting there thinking about playbook and I was like, well, you know, what am I going to use to lead? You know, what's going to drive the narrative this week uh, on Monday? And Jay Gonzalez, you know, Democrat announced that he's running for governor. And I feel like that has just fallen flat compared to the continued response and reaction to this executive order. I apologize for asking the question inartfully because what you just said was great. But what I was hoping to pull out of each of you, and I'm not trying to pick on you, Lauren, is (laughs) The, the sort of one comment from a particular oh, politician oh, that quote. stood out most okay. to you. Is it Marty Walsh? Is it Elizabeth Warren? And you don't need to quote him verbatim. I'm just wondering whose response. I, I, I thought their answer would... was much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So Sorry, let's, let's redirect and go with uh, what Lauren was saying. Peter, why don't you ask the follow-up question since you loved what Lauren had to say so much? Uh, no, no, I don't have a follow-up. I'll answer your question. All right, thank yeah, you. I'll, an answer an, to that too. I'll answer your question. And my answer to your question is um, they were all situational. I'm sure they all believed it. I was unimpressed by everything any, everyone said. You know, it, you were it, unimpressed by everything everyone said? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's politics by uh, robot. I, I mean, Trump is evil. I don't think his plan's a very good one. We are Democrats. This is the the home. It was like Devo. We are Devo. Wait a minute. Know. Wait a minute. How can you not be impressed? And I don't want to. Step I'm on impressed your toes, by Lauren, the cr- I'm impressed by the crowds. I'm impressed okay. by the crowds. I'm impressed. And by the way, I'm not dissing. I guess I. It does sound like I'm dissing the politicians. 
it's like shooting fish in a barrel for a Massachusetts politician, especially a Democrat, to attack Trump. I'm impressed by the crowds. I'm impressed by the fact that people get on the tee and go all the way out to Logan Airport more or less spontaneously. Um, I'm impressed that— Well, you know Soros was pulling the strings. But. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed— Pending out dollar bills on the coin. I'm impressed by the number of people who got on the tee on Sunday and came out there. It's the pe- number of people that impress me. Again, what about you? And I think that's that's what kind of put, puts uh, Governor Charlie Baker in a in a tough spot because people, you know, these these protests keep happening. They keep happening spontaneously. The Democrats keep showing up to them, and it keeps revealing that that the 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 distance uh, or at least the 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 stance Baker has uh, now. Baker agrees with Maura Healy on this uh, this immigration ban that came out, but for a lot of activists. What they're looking for is tone, not necessarily the words, but they're listening to the pitch. Uh, do you have a res- response that stood out either as strong or weak to Peter's point? Let me let me put you on the hot seat. What did you think of what the governor did? He puts out uh, a statement right through a spokesperson or he he has a spokesperson speak for him, I believe, on Saturday. Yeah. On Saturday. Yeah. And then I was makes, I was on on the job. So. And then makes a statement of his own on Sunday, but unless I'm not remembering correctly, he didn't deliver that statement in person, right? It was his words, but it was text. It was through an yeah, aid. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, so, um, again, you know, what more do we want from the governor? I mean, he the, the words were fairly pointed, particularly in the statement that came out on Sunday. Uh, I believe the word chaos was used, among other things. Is it fair and reasonable to expect the Republican governor of Massachusetts to go further than he went. Well, I think we're living in kind of fairly odd times right now where you could argue that tr- Trump is not a normal Republican president, right? I mean, if we're talking about Mike uh, Mike Pence or somebody else, uh, you know, I, there might be a little bit more understanding about how Governor Baker is reacting. But I think because of Trump prov- provokes such strong emotions in so many people, um, that the, these activists are looking for an equal, uh, if not stronger, response back uh, to Trump. And so, so much about, about our politics, and especially in the last couple of years, has become about emotion. Um, and to a degree, may, maybe that's just because that's through human nature, right? That's, Facebook is uh, something that's driven by emotion. You like something because it, it, it hits you somewhere. Um, it's all about feelings, feelings rather than fact. And I know uh, Democrats tend to hit Republicans about that a lot. But I don't think Democrats are immune from that uh, themselves. Uh, they, put, they put a huge uh, premium on how, how it feels, what the response is, not just the words, but the tone behind the words. Peter Kansas, you've had an operating theory of uh, something like this for a while now, right? You want to share it with our listeners? Which one? No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying I'm to thinking the, the politics of therapy. Is that oh, the right? Oh, well, well the, the therapy is, I'm not sure it applies here, but let, okay. let me try to apply it. I, I thought, um, I think Charlie Baker's in just an awful political position. Um, um, and I don't think he's responding well. Um, for example, Saturday when, you know, I, I saw the statement come over AP, I, I immediately thought to myself, fine statement, but it should have been a voicer, you know, just a simple voicer because it was non, you know, it's, there shouldn't be a religious test 
for refugees, I think, or it was something very similar to that. I, I don't think he even said immigration. I think it was refugees. Have a voicer there. Boom. That goes out, you know. That's a great point. And he could have used the disappointed dad tone that he has been using for the better part of a year <laughs> to talk about Donald Trump. Very on brand. In, 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 it, should have been, it, it should have been earlier, you, you know, maybe just an hour or two earlier. I mean, social media has so transformed the way all of us think. I mean, that sometimes we take it for granted, but why do I say an hour or two earlier? Because it would have been on social media an hour or two earlier. And the the same thing, I I think people should have, I thought his Sunday statement was fine, um, but it should have been out. It, it, now, maybe I just saw it late. I should be careful here about that. But um, in some ways, I'll, I'll tell you, listening to him on WGBH, listening to him on Boston Public Radio with Jim and Marjorie, to me it was painful um, because I happen to think he's doing the right thing. Do people want the Green Line extension to go down the tube? Because a, you know, a vengeful president of the United States, you know, pulls the plug on the money. I mean, we're talking about real things here. and We um, are, although I find it hard to imagine that given everything else that Massachusetts politicians, from Elizabeth Warren and Seth Moulton to others, are saying about Donald Trump that Baker's mutedness would be the thing that kept the Green Line extension alive for us. But maybe I'm wrong. Because none of, well, none of, just to answer, none of them have the responsibility. They're legislators. They get to just say yes, no. They got a 50-50 shot of doing it right. Whoever is governor. Now, let's talk about Mayor Walsh a little later, because Walsh is an interesting position, too. But But I also think, like, Baker clearly understands his responsibility and that he needs to be the conduit between Massachusetts and Washington. I mean, he made that clear on WGBH. Um, And I think that, you know, it was good that he so forcefully came out and said it and it was his voice. But at the same time, like, what do you what what do we expect from him? I mean, this guy, this is the wonk in the corner office. He is known for being thoughtful and kind of slowing things down and waiting to look at things and analyze things. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's to expect something different is to run counter to who he is. And for and him, th- he's trying to stick with who he is because that's where the money is. Right. And and let's remember, when he ran in 2010, he uh, he ran on a platform of had enough anger, of of emotion. And, and he said afterwards, what I learned about that was people told me you're not being yourself. That's a terrific point. You're 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 just uh, uh, you've got to be yourself. You've got to be the, the Mr. Fix it. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tackle the problem. So and now people are telling him like, OK, well, you've got to be emotional again, apparently. So it's well, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you in the crowd in the crowd Sunday, I, I ran into several people who I strongly suspect voted for Baker in in in, in the final. I don't know them well enough to, you know, ask them, who did you vote for? But they'd sort of fit the profile of the Baker thing. And there are Democrats who I think voted for Baker who are understandably upset about Trump. It's a, it's a real problem for Baker. And I don't know, you know what, the best thing that could happen is when the legislature votes 
you know, the, the, the speaker and the Senate president, the big raise, they will just have given Charlie Baker's campaign for uh, re-election an incredible boost. Which and, is still not officially announced, let, let's just say. Excellent point. Good Lauren, point. I was just reading your write-up of the Maura Healy presser announcing her lawsuit against the Trump administration um, right before coming down here. And Thanks for reading. The go- uh, how could I not? <laughs> the, the governor wasn't there. Right. right. He has said he supports the AG's lawsuit, and yet he wasn't there. And I think that's an yes. important point because we're not talking about Charlie Baker, you know, jumping around and, and raging at Donald Trump or turning into a buffoon-like figure. What I'm talking about is him not trying to thread the needle by, for example, supporting the AG's lawsuit but not standing next to her as she files it. Now, maybe he had a scheduling conflict. I, don't I mean, know, he, they didn't they didn't release the public schedule for him. So it's not clear what he was doing when he wasn't there. But I think at the end of the day, Baker not showing up at that press conference initially doesn't look good. But if this challenge in court is ultimately successful that he signs on to, that's a result that he can point to. So he's basically saying, you know, and whether it's it's the Affordable Care Act or the Green Line extension and things like that, it's like he's not showing up to these rallies, but he's making these moves behind the scenes that he hopes, because at the end of the day, he's still a Republican. He's not going to spend his political capital so early on in the administration, because let's remember, we're a week in. You know, he's <laughs> he, he's not, but he's not spending that yet, which is from Frustrating, I think, for so many people in Massachusetts, be it whether they voted for him or not, because they want that they they want that emotion. But he's playing the long game. Getting up, I, I, I think I, I bounced this off Lauren before, and a couple of other reporters at, uh, up at the state house. Charlie Baker is a Bill Rel- Bill Weld Republican at a time when a when Bill Weld isn't a Republican anymore. <laughs> and and it's <laughs> nice. you know it's it's one of those things where where. Uh, where where, where <laughs> does it go? Better the more I think about it, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's a, it was kind of a tongue twister when I first tried it out, but um, and and I can see where that's frustrating for him because because the the I guess the landmass he's on is is the, the seas are rising and he's, he's like a unicorn now, almost. Yeah. Well, you know, he may be un- he, he, he's acting like an adult. Twenty first century politics is not kind to adult behavior. Um, and even though I've been critical of the pay raise for the, the House Speaker and the, the Senate President, I mean, my God, what are they thinking? They deserve a raise, but um, they too are adults. You know, they just, this is, you, you know, the acid must have kicked in or something. I have to say I'm I'm surprised <laughs> that none of you were apparently as struck by Mayor Marty Walsh saying in his press conference responding to Trump's executive uh, order – that refugees could take refuge in City Hall. Immigrants and refugees could take refuge inside City Hall if necessary, which... You know, maybe it was predictable to Peter's point that Marty Walsh was going to come It was a good line. I thought that was a hell of a message for the mayor of Boston to deliver. Especially when when you're running against someone like Tito Jackson. He stole the crowd right away from Tito. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only reason I wasn't. Lauren Dzezinski rapidly trying to get in here (laughs) when Peter makes that point. Um, No, it's fascinating because while Marty Walsh is defending sanctuary cities on CNN and things like that. But he's just, never mentioned the word sanctuary cities. But, but he's, he's, you know, Good refugees. Aren't we a loving community? Right, We're right. a loving community. Welcoming. But so, the, welcoming but so the one, all around. So the one person who is saying sanctuary cities is 
Boston City Councilor and mayoral candidate Tito Jackson, who used it today, Tuesday, in a fundraising email, saying, let's defend Boston as a sanctuary city. I need you on my side. I'm paraphrasing here, but he he's using this as a fundraising tool. So it's like... Both of them are trying to out-progressive each other <laughs> in defense of these things, which is which is also just another fascinating layer. By the way, I made this. Can I ask a question? Yeah, Peter. No, I just want to ask because a pet theory of mine, but I'm not sure. I'd like to hear what people to say. To me, um, Mayor Walsh's position on so-called sanctuary cities is not unlike the Olympics. You know, in other words, well, the Olympics are great, but, you know, whoa, they're not here yet, but you float the idea of the Olympics and then – before you finally embrace them. But he there's never... no public backlash to sanctuary cities in the city of Boston like we saw with the Olympics. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, well, that's a very good point. And there is, if I recall but correctly. But he's danced doesn't... around it until recently. He, he never embraced, you're right, he never embraced the phrase, but at the same time, so the, there's an ordinance on the books. And I can defend books, him, right? too. Am I correct? It's a that. city ordinance on the books basically laying out the the provisions that make Boston a de facto sanctuary city, if not... You're, you're no, I, cursing I just your brow. See, well, I remember being struck by his refusal to use the term right after Trump won the election and when Tito Jackson said we should become a sanctuary city and then he, learning that, in fact, there but, was – there was, I, and I think I'm using the right phrase, apology if I'm not of the right term, that there is an ordinance on the book limiting the ability of Boston law enforcement to cooperate with immigrations and customs enforcement. The federal authorities, again, you're squinting too. I'm, I'm, so trying, to, I'm trying to remember. No, I th see, I, my <laughs> I sense is that correct. we are a de facto yes. sanctuary city. Yes. And I felt like the mayor, even though he sent this really defiant message to Trump the day after Trump won, saying, as Peter, you mentioned a moment ago, that we are a welcoming city, these other things, that we're not going to turn our back on immigrants. I felt like a part of him was hedging his bets by not using the phrase because he thought not using the phrase might provide a measure of safety, which, in fact, it hasn't seemed to provide. I, my, my understanding is that Boston has always kind of like I, I was looking this up as before we came to like do a little research. And the way that it's phrased in, in the articles and things that I've written is that Boston is under, understood to basically be a sanctuary yep. city. Um, I didn't realize that there was that nuance, and, and that's my own lack of understanding. Well, the whole thing is it, it could also be that as people begin to prepare for what the repercussions of being a real sanctuary city or a so-called sanctuary city, it realizes it's, it's not the – it is most likely not the slam dunk that Trump perhaps would – have thought it would be. Now, it could end up being that, but... Wait, what do you mean, what's not What, what I mean by that is you look at the pie chart of, of how Boston, you know, gets its its money. The biggest slice, I was surprised to see, was for housing and urban development. Like, education was up there. Police doesn't even show, you know, didn't even register on there. When the feds, when, when people start looking at how to retaliate against cities, and, and I have no doubt that the Trump administration will do this, 
it's going to be governed by Supreme Court decisions, you know, uh, affecting regulations and stuff, including some that Scalia have written. And, you know, is the response by the federal government, is, is it is it going to be proportionate and is it reasonable? You're sure it's not just going to be a will yank all federal funding with, you know, 50 I, million for the Boston I, Housing I, Authority I, going down the drain? I don't think so. I, I could hmm. be wrong, but I don't think so. And I think that people like, m- m- you know, um, Mayor Walsh have, listen, no doubt someone's looking into this stuff for him. And as they become more confident that, that you know, all the money's not going to disappear, they probably get a little bolder, which and is... The, okay, go ahead. Um, no, I mean, another figure who has to deal with the repercussions of a potential loss of federal funding is Charlie Baker. You know, these these elected officials, they have to, th- this is a very intricate dance that they now have to do in the sense that they need to appease the voters that are upset and horrified by aspects of the Trump administration, or perhaps the Trump administration as a whole. Um, but they also need to make sure that they have federal funding maintained. And, you know, there's still basic operations of a city that in light of a potentially vindictive administration, you know, how do you how do you figure out what that is? And I, I think that there's a basic lack of understanding for everyone what that field yeah. of play actually is. How do you make is. healthcare work in Massachusetts if the ACA... Yeah, if you don't have your $52 million a year, yeah. however much it is, you know. Well, that's... Obscene <laughs> amount. Yeah, yeah, there's these, right. Um, I, I, By I, the way, for healthcare, I think, and I don't have the numbers... Uh, Fifty million is the Boston Housing Authority, right? Is that the number, or do you think? Because healthcare, I think of the numbers as being really, really, really big. I don't remember how big the Medicare yeah, waiver that we got from the downs. government. Yeah, okay. I, I do. I do want to raise that. Uh, uh, what happened was uh, last week was was uh, in Springfield. Dominic Sarno, uh, Mayor Sarno, put out a statement saying Springfield is not a sanctuary city. Uh, and he, because I believe it was listed on some on, on some organizations saying like, oh yeah, Springfield's among them, and he came out very strongly and said we are not a sanctuary city, uh, and and uh, he did mention federal funding as as a, as a key point for for him. He's like, I, I got to think about this. And you know, Mayor Sarno in the past has asked, uh, I think, the federal government not to keep sending Somalis yes, into correct. Springfield. So from his vantage point, it must have seemed like this grave injustice to be lumped together with all these other municipalities. Peter Kansas. Well, you know, Donald Trump has been a boon for Mayor Walsh. Walsh has been able to establish his primacy to national audiences. You know, he's on, been on Chris Matthews a couple of times. Um, he's mentioned in the, in the national press. Not to mention, I mean, he's been terrifically present on stage at 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 this stuff, he was at Logan Airport, right? He Lauren? was yeah. at Logan, and no, yeah, and that, he was that, one of the three that shot after Tito Jackson. But yeah. still, good hustle. He yep. got there, <laughs> um, and it's it's a tremendous boon for him, and it, it's sort of bad news for Tito. For 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 the governor, it's a it's a real challenge. I mean, you, you know, could the governor face a challenge by someone? Could yeah. someone primary him? How about that, yeah. Gannon, Lauren? Because before we started recording here, you two were floating some juicy gossip, which I hadn't heard. I'll, I'll confess right up front. Peter, had you heard the, I, I, the not, rumors? Not that, with the detail. So, um, okay, guys, guys what's, what's going on? What's, what's happening, guys? Not, what's up? not with the detail that these two arch inside <laughs> Well, I mean, it's you know, it's Beacon Hill stuff. Ping pongs around. Uh, you know, I think was it la- last week we we all started hearing that Jay Gonzalez was going to launch a run for governor. And Jay who? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Ooh. name recognition Ouch. very low. So, um, by the way, we will come back to him in a moment, just in closing. But again, but but there's been general. I think we everybody's kind of sensed uh, among certain Republicans general unhappiness with uh, Charlie Baker, and there has uh, because he has not been. Uh, you know, not necessarily pro-Trump, but certainly they feel he should be bending the other way when Democrats want to want to want him to bend uh, their way. Well, a complaint when Lauren and I were at the uh, election of the mass GOP chairman uh, just a few days ago, feels like six months ago, was that <laughs> the governor had, I don't think, mentioned Donald Trump's name. Yes. In the state of the state in speech. State of, yeah. So right, and Democrats were angry that he didn't go farther right. in in uh, uh, criticizing Trump. All right, now we've One had the mother of all run-ups. So again, <laughs> given all these things, considering all these conditions, taking all these things into account, with of course the proviso that this is not a done deal or anything like that, the rumor that you've been hearing is. Uh, it's possible that uh, you know he might get a challenge from the the right wing of the party, the more conservative ra- uh, wing, and somebody that people have been chattering about is uh, Jeff Deal, who is uh, young, uh, ambitious, uh, recognized as a as a good politician. Uh, Trump he, campaign co-chair, yep, in Massachusetts, he, yes, if yeah. memory serves. Vince DeVito uh, was the was the big guy, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Deal was the, the first the public guy. face. He yeah, was definitely yeah. a, a public face in Massachusetts for Trump. So yeah. it's it's something... he's been our go-to surrogate for Trump here at WGBH. Absolutely. I know. Yeah, he talks to the Lion Media, so it helps. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I, I think a primary challenge might be good for Baker. I mean, so I've I've been working on a story. Easy for me in, to say, <laughs> right? It, it, you know, any sort of uncontested election is not good uh, for Lauren, democracy. You, you've heard um, the same thing as Gin. Yeah, right? I, yeah, I've also heard that. Um, it's a it's small world up on Beacon Hill. Um, <laughs> but no, but I've I've been working on a story uh, for Politico that's that's going to be out at some point this week that basically looks at Baker threading this fine line, and there are conservatives. Uh, that are that are in the Republican Party who, number one, are frustrated that that Baker didn't actually vote for Trump in November. And, you know, those that have gotten over it are frustrated that he's not sharing in the successes of the Trump administration. You know, you're not like uh, Chanel Prunier, a former National Committee woman, uh, chatted with me last week and she was basically saying, you know, to see Governor Baker work so hard to work with Democrats in the legislature, uh, it is and I'm paraphrasing, she, um, but basically, why isn't he also sharing in the successes of his, uh, uh, you know, the leader of his party with with Donald Trump? And you mean the the leader? I'm not addressing this to you. I'm I'm who was telling you Chanel this? Chanel, Chanel. Chanel. Well, I I wonder what Chanel would say. You know, the the Trump White House going to congressional staffers. You know, having them cut out their bosses. Signing um, non-disclosure Signing non-disclosures. Yeah. Those are you certainly know, good follow-up questions. You know, that, that, that's, <laughs> a, you, you know, that's a heck of a way By the, <laughs> for a party to run itself. Which I don't think we knew about at the time that you talked to Chanel Prudier. But you, your yeah, point yeah, no, is this, well taken. The conversation right, was last is week. There, yeah. What would make Jeff Deal, and I've always enjoyed my conversations with the representative. He's been very helpful, very responsive, uh, has a very different personal presentation than the man whose presidential campaign he worked for. Uh, he has a very unassuming, low-key... Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting all these quizzical looks today. No, Lauren, no, just, I'm just looking you around. You popped your head. No. You look like you were hearing the stupidest thing. You did. No, is, it, is it fair no. to say Jeff, Jeff Deal does not present like Donald Trump, right? No, that's now, fair. Now, that yeah. being said... Well, he comes why, across as sane. Why would Jeff Deal <laughs> fare any better than Mark Fisher did four years ago, or whatever it is? Three, uh, I the, mean... 
I, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head the vote margins that that Mark Fisher, the rest of conservative base member uh, who who challenged uh, Charlie Baker in 2014. Um, you know, I don't know the margins that Mark Fisher had compared to how Donald Trump did in Massachusetts. You know, if there is room for growth yeah. for a potential uh, candidate. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, the majority of Massachusetts voters are unenrolled. Right. You if you want to be successful, you know, winning a Republican primary is one thing, but successfully winning a general election is another thing. And that being right. said, like if, if you unseat the incumbent Republican governor by primarying right. him and knocking him out, you know, that's that's something, too. But, you know, just to you answer know. my own question, I guess one thing that is different now is that uh, Charlie Baker is seen by some on the uh, on the far right as the incumbent Republican who has betrayed the ascendant national version of republicanism, i.e. Trumpism. So that was not a dynamic that was there when Mark Fisher ran. Right. right. But, yeah. but, well, that's the thing, though. I feel like Baker's been consistent uh, right. since since uh, uh, his his last run. He has been this this the a Republican from 1990s Massachusetts. It's Massachusetts has changed. And mackerel uh, by moonlight, if you and, will. Yeah, <laughs> Whoa! And, uh, well, that's a uh, that's who uh, gets that <laughs> reference? <laughs> All Great twenty trivia. of you listening. <laughs> um, but it's uh, so so he is, and, and he is someone who has this uh, persona, someone who prizes uh, common ground facts, analytics. You have data. a president data, who, and you have a president who does not, and he's the leader of the party. Uh, and and it seems like all of Washington, or at least the the the, the Republican part of Washington, is is following the president's lead, yeah. um, and and that's going to be pretty painful for 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 Baker to watch. And Ch- I think Ch- that that oh, sorry, uh, I think that that also kind of plays into other conversations about Charlie Baker's national aspirations. Uh, you hear this a lot, specifically talking to people based out of D.C. or kind of nationally. They think that you know it is. It is unbelievable that Charlie Baker wouldn't be interested in higher office. But honestly, Why I don't know. Why in God's name would he want to <laughs> jump in the fray nationally? Right. I, and it's like, and honestly, is there is there even room for someone like Charlie Baker? Is there, is there even an interest? And that, honestly, I don't think that there is. That's because people in Washington are sick. They, can't, <laughs> they just can't think True. in other words. Listen. Charlie Baker's name is up there with John McCain and Lindsey Graham as lifelong Republicans who are acting like grown-ups. I mean, and they're not as funny as Lindsey Graham, but um, uh, you, you, who's you, actually getting funnier? Uh, well, he's losing the knob. I mean, cell phone. You remember that video? <laughs> every, every day brings more absurdities. Well, so how you can see, you not laugh? Did you see his retweet of that Onion story that was something like Lindsey Graham <laughs> hides from Trump's hunting dogs <laughs> no. behind a tree? Yeah, and Lindsey Graham retweeted it, and he said, "Mainstream media missed the scoop. The Onion gets it." Seeking asylum in Ecuador or something like that. That's yeah, he's brilliant. a laugh riot. Wow. See, the, 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 the problem Baker has with his Democratic supporters is that, you know, the, um, there, there will be a whole brand, a whole branch of the Democratic Party that, you know, will consider all Republicans to be varmints and they'll want varmints. to eradicate them. Um, That's a it, Mitt, is, was that a sly Mitt Romney reference? Isn't that what Mitt Romney uh, said he hunted back during his oh, presidential no, run? That, yeah, he, he was a big hunter and he liked to hunt. I, I thought I was. I thought Small I was using. Varmints. I thought I was using a colorful word. <laughs> well, You're you just were. laden with Matt Pauly references. This is wonderful. But uh, um, and and it's a it, you know it it it's a challenge. But you can't beat somebody with nobody. All right, we got to wrap up. But I need to since Peter took a backhanded, not even a backhanded, a a full-on swipe at Jay Gonzalez, who just announced his candidacy for governor. 
we cannot let that go unanswered. Uh, Lauren and Ginn, did you guys sit down with Jay Gonzalez in those offices in Copley Square when he was rolling out his campaign on Monday? I did not get a chance to. No, I've I've been bogged down by the executive order stuff. Same. Okay. Yeah, it's been it's yeah. been nonstop uh, national stuff. Yeah, which is crazy. All right, so so you didn't have a chance to form a, an opinion of him. I guess I really didn't want to be the person giving my opinion, but I did sit and talk to him for a little bit. What'd you think? <clears throat> um, well, as you know, his big uh, angle on the run is that well, two two things that sort of go together: that Charlie Baker is not nearly as aggressive in his pushback against Trump as he should be. We've talked about that at some length here today. Also that Charlie Baker is, and I think, Peter, you and I heard this phrase used by John Walsh here a few months ago. John Walsh is not working uh, at this juncture with Jay Gonzalez, but he referred with with Seti Seti Warren. Warren. He referred to, uh, this is Jay Gonzalez, referred to Governor Baker, I believe, as the caretaker governor who doesn't have big vision and doesn't try to do big things. My quick take as the That was a knock on Mayor Menino, too. And he did okay. Good point. (laughs) So having spent a little time, just a little time with Jay Gonzalez, the former Secretary of Administration and Finance, just like Charlie Baker used to be back in the mid-90s, which is an interesting little twist, um, it it seems to me like he wants to be Deval Patrick. Um, He's a Deval Patrick alum. He has talked about how nice it would be to have a Deval Patrick-type figure in the corner office pushing back. Uh, at the Trump administration as opposed to a Charlie Baker type figure. The tricky thing, I think, is that Deval Patrick was such a unique political talent. And I remember sitting down with him right after Frank Phillips wrote about his candidacy, however many years ago this was, and he was just mesmerizing at the outset, this guy no one had ever heard of, that political insiders were sort of scoffing at when you would bring up his name, and you would sit down with him one-on-one, And he was so good on so many levels from delivering his own message to making it feel like he was paying attention to you with, remember that arched eyebrow thing he used to do? Remember what what that I used to call him? uh, uh, Remind remind our listeners. The Cary Grant of Bay State politics. (laughs) So I don't know. I think think Jay Gonzalez would like to be another iteration of Deval Patrick. Uh, That's a, a tall order. What did you pick up on since you didn't, you know, weren't part of the media rounds because you were doing other stuff? What did you make of what he had to say during this first week of his official candidacy? I mean, at the end of the day, he's the first person to announce a run for governor in 2018, yeah. even beating Governor Charlie Baker. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, he... he now, has he, Jill Stein announced yet? Are we going to get in trouble from the Greens who listen to us? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Right. I have no idea. Yeah, I thought he was the first she one, too. I think he is the first one. No, he is, he is the first one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, you. that was that was <laughs> that no, was like no. called for. But uh No, not at all. These are these are the days when such <laughs> jokes are actually totally called for. <laughs> so first one in, Lauren first says, uh n- not not strong praise, but it's you know worth something. No, I mean it's, I don't even know if that counts as praise or not. Yeah. Um I mean, it's at the end of the day, he he gets to be first. And that's always something that he can hang his hat on. Um, I think it's really going to be on him to define himself. Um, and if he wants to be this, you know, soaring Duval Patrick character, as the adjective seems kind of appropriate, you know, he's there's there's kind of a lot of ground to make up. Um, obviously, there's there's room to do that in opposing a Trump administration. But, you know, there is. I think there's some caution in trying to tie Donald Trump and Charlie Baker together because Charlie Baker really does 
you know, he's he's it's a it's an awkward dance for him, but he is trying to make ox make sure that there is oxygen between him and Donald Trump. So to say that the two of them are cut from the same cloth is not correct. And I think any smart Democrat knows that. And by the way, that is what Jay Gonzalez did when I talked to him. He talked, among other things, about not just about the way Baker has responded to Trump, but about Baker directing the, I believe, state police to cooperate with ICE Mm. when it came to immigration enforcement. And also, remember when Baker was uh, not eager to bring Syrian refugees into Massachusetts and sort of had trouble finding a core, stable message on that. And as I recall, ended up backing off his initial comments a little bit. Yeah, and that Um, was awkward for him. Jay Gonzalez said to me in both those cases, he sounded a lot like Donald Trump. Well, he didn't sound like Donald Trump. Well, that's what Jay Gonzalez would say that. Again, Uh, quick take on Jay Gonzalez's uh, debut. I I think Democrats, if we're talking about primary, Democrats are looking for a firebrand. And I I think, you know, Democrats view um, Charlie Baker as beatable. Uh, He won by 40,000 votes last time. Um, and I think if we're talking about Seth Moulton, Maura Healy, uh, you know, those, those are the types of folks Democrats are looking for. Well, you, you know, I, I wonder about Moulton, a very interesting development. Uh, yesterday or today, Moulton, who some people were speculating, oh, he's going to buck Nancy Pelosi and will he be stripped of his leadership position? Well, we got two more leadership positions today. And I, I, I know nothing about Moulton's ambitions, but it would strike me that he is in a terrific position yeah, to emerge you. as a real leader of whatever we call the new Democrats in Congress. Uh, um, maybe he'd take the run here, but I, I listen, I think it's possible someday we might even be talking about the Speaker Moulton, majority leader, or maybe even President Moulton. He is a man who is not without the ambition. He's got guts. He's taken risks. He's smart. He's been in the military, something that around here doesn't matter. I got to say, I'd be surprised if he ran for governor. I mean, just just speaking on uh, Seth Moulton's ambition and kind of the state house scuttle. But I mean, there there have always kind of there's been a perception that yes, Seth Moulton does want higher office, and at least among conversations that I've had, the perception has been that that higher office would be more Massachusetts based. Oh, so yeah, that that yeah, path yeah. to that path to success and that path to leadership wouldn't be in Congress. It would be potentially in the state house. You probably, you no doubt know more than I do. I'm just saying what, (laughs) no, no, I'm saying all I know about Moulton is what I read in the papers and what David Bernstein passes on to me. Who who was an excellent source. Who was an excellent source. I can't look at the TV in our newsroom without seeing him talking to CNN or someone else uh, being a thorn in Donald Trump's side. I I just remember seeing him get elected and say, well, you know, first of all, he had the guts to run. He's definitely someone to to watch. I almost feel Mm -hmm. like this is a conversation we should have in, what, like five, six weeks? Something like that? If you insist. Are you inviting (laughs) us back on? (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Guys, we should probably leave it there just because our listeners, if they've stuck with us for this long, may be ready to take a bathroom break. Um, But, you know, I'd I'd love to continue chatting. (laughs) Lauren Dzanski. Uh, Gin Dumpsius and Peter Kadzis. Thank you all for coming here to kick this stuff around. It was a lot of fun. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank and of you. course, thanks to all of you who took the time to listen to this episode of The Scrum. As always, you can find us on iTunes, and we strongly suggest that you subscribe if you haven't already. 
You can also find all our episodes online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. If you have any comments, if you think we got something wrong, if you think we got something right, if you'd like to suggest subsequent topics, you can reach us by email at scrum at wgbh.org. Our producer is Jason Tureski. Our engineer today was Doug Sugarts. I'm Adam Riley, and the Scrum is a production of WGBH News. We hear it in the sleep sometimes, blare it in your Jeep so your peoples can stare at them rhymes. Real rhymes, not your everyday hologram. Even when ribs was touching, never swallowed the ham. You'd rather eat a sand sandwich salad. It might need salt like your man's bland ballad. A lot of stuff happens that the news won't tell you. Blues on L juice, snooze on hell loose. Break it.